your experience is perfect, Mel, because you have experience of having your budget raided, am I right? <laughs> you know what, you should have been in the boardroom, there was blood on the dance floor on Friday. <laughs> I've got so much to tell you, so much, yeah. Oh, well done. That bonus point promotion was an outstanding success. Bad luck. You've used up all the points budget. You know, that's the lack of maturity or understanding about how to optimize your loyalty program. And they're a brand leader. Nike's a great example. And they continue to invest in Nike membership. That's what separates the leaders from the challengers and certainly the laggards is the ability to say, you know what, no, we're gonna continue. The best place we can put money isn't in opening new stores, it's in put money in our customers because we know that that's where the return is. The fact that we stayed firm, yes, so it did cost us, right? But at the end of the day, Clicks had the best retail season of all retailers in South Africa. Why? Because of that. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. With tough times predicted ahead in many markets, we all know that the dreaded call for finance will come when we're all asked to cut budgets and consider costs. So in this podcast, we've gathered a self-help group from across the world to share the burden of what we can do to prepare and respond when the knock on the door comes. So to help me with this, I'm joined by a truly global group of experts. So please could I welcome from east to west, Phil Hawkins in Melbourne, Australia. Hi, Phil. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. And sorry for the early morning for you, Phil. It's not a, no problem at all. <laughs> and Melanie Van Roy, Head of Marketing at Clicks in Cape Town, South Africa. Hi, Mel. Hi, Ian. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. And thank you for joining us. And Phil Rubin in Washington, D.C. in the U.S. Hi, Phil. Hello, Ian. Good to see everybody. Thanks for having me as well. No, and thanks for joining us. To get us started tonight, could we give a brief introduction to ourselves and our experience in loyalty? So, uh, Phil, could you kick us off there? My experience in loyalty started uh, nearly 30 years ago, uh, 1993, on the planning for what became the, uh, and still is, the Flybys loyalty, uh, Coalition Loyalty Program uh, in Australia. I've had uh, experience uh, with other retail programs, but the majority is with the uh, coalition program. Perfect. Thanks, Phil. And uh, Mel? Yeah. And so I've been in the marketing and data industry for the last 35 years, but very intimately involved in loyalty uh, over the last 10 years with a number of retailers in South Africa and having so much fun, having so much fun. So your experience is perfect, Mel, because you have experience of in marketing of having your budget raided. Am I right? <laughs> you know what? You should have been in the boardroom. There was blood on the dance floor on Friday. <laughs> I've got so, we've so all much been to there. tell you. So much, yeah. <laughs> we've all been there. Now, we don't need to name names, but we all have experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Phil, how about you? Phil Hawkins, Phil Rubin, sorry. Uh, we, we're, this, this calls 50% Phil's. Um, I know. Sorry. We're going to have a Phil H and Phil R. I'm Phil R, Phil Rubin, based in the U.S., have a lot of global experience. But my loyalty experience goes back to 89, which, which was my first job working on the client side for an airline, heading up frequent flyer marketing. It was also interesting, I think relevant to today's topic, because it was right before the recession of 1990. 
So, uh, so this is going to be a fun discussion. Yeah, I think we've we could all play. How many recessions we talked about this for the call? How many recessions have you been through? So, Phil, do you want to start us off? So, when those tough times come, what's your experience of loyalty? You know, what what's the main things that happen? Well, two things happen. Number one, clients react, and I think what we've seen over the last, let's say, twelve plus months in anticipation of this recession that we're still waiting for, at least in the U.S., is they preemptively cut budgets. And it defies logic, arguably, when so much of what we do is actually accountable in terms of driving revenue, measurable in terms of driving revenue. But it's sort of the rising, the opposite of the rising tide lifting all boats. There have been times where clients have maintained or increased spend, but it's always easy to cut marketing spend. Maybe not operational spend, but for sure marketing spend. And yet, where's the clearest path to revenue? You know, go back to McKinsey 20 plus years ago when they originally measured the ROI of existing customer marketing versus acquisition. And, you know, that, that, that that's the number that Everybody always quotes, it's much, you know, it's 10 times more profitable to maintain or drive revenue from an existing customer versus acquiring a new one, right? Everybody, everybody uses that to pitch loyalty. But then all directors are expected to feel the same pain. That's the issue. And so often it's across the board cuts versus strategic cuts. And some of it is a function of where the customer and where loyalty are prioritized overall. And, and I think that's, that's a, that's a function of a lack of appreciation. I mean, it's a function of a lot of things, but it certainly includes a lack of appreciation and a lack of overall marketing and 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 I'd say investment discipline, investment from an opex, not a capex standpoint. And, and Mel, is this a is this a conversation you recognize from last week? Listen, absolutely. You know, I it never ceases to amaze me that. It doesn't matter whether in Sydney or in the US or in South Africa, we're having the same issues. And I'm just wondering at what point the C-suite actually wakes up to this, because it feels as if I've been you know, banging this drum. Um, it's interesting what's happening on our side, Ian, and that is that, you know, you know, the Clicks Club Card program. So for the other two gents on the call, uh, I guess you could say we're a hybrid between a Boots and a Sephora. Right, that's more or less where we play. We're a beauty, health and beauty retailer in South Africa, the biggest health and beauty retailer. And our uh, loyalty program, um, we've got an eighty percent plus uh, participation rate. So we've got a very high participation rate by consumers. And the interesting thing is, in these tough economic times, what we've seen is that the participation or the contribution of of club card sales to overall sales and baskets, it just keeps on increasing. I think as people are seeing the value and, and, you know, it's, it's across the demographic, you know, it used to, everybody always thought, yeah, you know, it's really people that are financially not that well off. Indeed, in our case, our high income customers are the first ones to come and claim cashback. And yet it feels to me like the C-suite then comes and wants to, you know, kill the, the, the you know the, the the duck or the chicken or whoever is laying the golden egg, and um, in my case, what is happening is to to fund they can put it that way the the, the club card PNL because there is a gap right there's a gap because more and more people are participating they're getting into the higher brackets quickly they're earning the double points so it is obviously more expensive they want to cut marketing operational expenses so I said let me understand this so. You are rewarding me for the success of marketing in these tough times to customers by cutting my spend because I'm creating this. And it, it's, 
you know, we always win this battle in the end, right? But it feels to me that it just saps my blooming energy. It saps my energy and it's, a, it's as if it always starts with a CFO that needs to find 34 million. Let me not give any secrets yeah. away, but that was what I was looking at on Friday. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a pity um, because I'll tell you, South Africans at this point are looking for value. They're looking for great value. And I see how, for instance, banks are changing, you know, the rules of their loyalty programs in these times. And consumers are reacting negatively. You know, for me, in a time like this, you hold your horses, you stay clear, you stay on your path. And that's why I say to the guys, you know, we give, we, we, we make sure that our customers know consistently. Because there's one thing tough times that I found is, People just want to know what they know. They want to stick to what is known and don't take away my perks. They also, Mel, appreciate the very small rewards because there's that yeah. classic piece of research, isn't it, where would you go on holiday or would you buy a lipstick? And what you see is the yeah. sale of lipsticks goes up, um, especially high-end lipsticks. So people want that little treat and they, they feel rewarded for that. They absolutely do. And they get jittery. They get jittery when you start tingling with, you know, tinkling with, 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 um, you know, levels and trying to move up the bar to get the, you know, to get them into certain point brackets, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sticking to the guns. I'm sticking to, to the basics and making sure that our customers get through this difficult time. And guess what? They're rewarding me. More baskets, bigger baskets, higher frequency. And that's what we want. And how, if you don't mind me asking, how are you managing to do that? Are you doing that because you've got a warehouse of goodwill? I always call it the warehouse of goodwill in your in, in the boardroom, and you're saying, "Trust me, I'm right on this." Or are you, are you backed up by any stronger um, evidence than that? Look, well, Ian, it's actually a mixture of both. I, I think being a marketer, you you absolutely have to work for the goodwill without being a good goody goody. You know, so you absolutely do have yeah. to have that, but that's not enough. You know, so I back my arguments up with a heap of information. I'm, you know, I'm an econometrician by trade. I'm not a marketer by trade. Um, and, and for me, data is everything, right? So I try and prove as much as I can, although the person that still has to find out what the uh, holy grail is for ROI and marketing must still be born. But you know what? The thing is, you, you, must, you, you must balance it with a good, you know, good attitude in the boardroom, and balanced with facts. And luckily, I've got a CEO that understands loyalty and that understands the value of the consumer and is a voice with me uh, when when I'm in the boardroom. And and you know what? The ops guys, the guys that work in the stores, that meet with the customers, that know what they're going through, they are the ones that I get on my side. And uh, Phil H was lost and nodding your head there as well. Because you've seen this happen with lots of partners as well. So you're not dealing with just one brand. You have to deal with many. That's right, Ian. And I... I see it in these circumstances as a good test of an organisation's loyalty and maturity. The ones who are new to it or the ones where loyalty hasn't demonstrated itself over a number of years, then you've got the classic, it's a marketing expense stuck in the corner of the marketing department and it's ripe for the cutting. Uh, whereas in the more, more mature organisations, they'll see loyalty as uh, more as a cost of goods sold and mm. therefore they'll align mm. loyalty uh, promotions alongside discounting and other price-related activities. and that was often the critical point um, I found. Otherwise, you do see that tendency to tamper with the value equation, either lower issuance rates or increased points for rewards. And Mel, 
you know, your your words rang true because I've always found that members are very attuned to that. And if you break the covenant that you've agreed with them, then bad things follow. So it's the classic, it's not about them being loyal to us, it's us being loyal to them. But I think if I could jump in there, the, the classic for me is that you have to be on the OPEX side of the business because because if you're in in the in the in the marketing spend piece, then you get raided. Then your then your life's very difficult. I've had a couple of clients that where where it's considered where where the loyalty investment call it that is considered to be a marketing expense rather than opex. As soon as you're in there, then you're in deep trouble, right? Because it's 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 difficult. And I I remember promotions we've run with uh, partner organisations in flybys where oh well done that bonus point promotion was an outstanding success bad luck you've used up all the points budget so you can't do another one this year you know that yeah. that kind of thing and that's you know that's the lack of maturity or understanding about how to optimise your loyalty program at the same time though they probably dial up their mass markdown or their mass promotion budget which is arguably the, the the antithesis of what the right thing is to do because i mean that's pure dilution for customers that are engaged loyal feel some modicum of loyalty from the brand back to them and and so that but it's lazy it's laziness and and i think to to pick up on one thing mel said and i think we probably all violently agree about this this is a leadership thing it's a corporate and brand leadership thing and you know i've seen companies where maybe there isn't this wildly bullish outlook but they're very committed to a customer first strategy and they're a brand leader nike's a great example and they continue to invest in nike membership in spite of maybe making cuts in other places that's what separates the leaders from the challengers and certainly the laggards is the ability to say, you know what? No, we're going to continue. The best place we can put money isn't in opening new stores. It's in put money in our customers because we know that that's where the return is. But but I think to me, that's the biggest challenge because an example I had back in my timeout, I used 2009 because it's a, it's a distance from today. And also the example is has moved on. Okay, so when I was working at Air Miles, we were dealing with Tesco. And in 2009, Tesco wanted to make massive changes. You know, the, the credit crunch came in, needed to make massive changes. But the, the need for change came out of the finance department rather than the mm. marketing department. And so what you then do is you then have pressure to make big changes, which invariably hit your most loyal and valuable customers. That to me is the biggest difficulty of all. Ian, and, and, I, and I want to add to, to your point for a moment there, and that is that, you know, when you reach that point, when you make changes for the wrong, what also happens is that when you drive a business like that, you set KPIs <laughs> that reflect that. And that is that is the problem. If you see loyalty as a marketing expense, um, then those are the KPIs. You know, I said to the guys on Friday, I said, well, then it's very easy. I, st I stop building loyalty because then I keep my advertising budget um, whole. The same if you if if you if you tell your ops people, you know, you guys that are in stores, oh, now that cost becomes a store cost. They will stop driving loyalty. So the moment you shift your C-suite to understand that this is the cost of doing business, if you want to be in retail and you want to be in loyalty, 
in tough times, this is what you do. And I guess once you get to that level of maturity, then the whole discussion is different. And that's where you don't get these funny jumps into all sorts of changes in your loyalty program where you lose the trust of your customer immediately. I'll give you one different take. And I've got a couple, but one is, I think back to eased in 09, you know, the Great Recession, you know, that was like, oh, it started in 08 right? Late 08, I guess. We don't need to talk about the economics, but we created a new program for Nordstrom. It was kind of their first program that had tiers that really shifted the their approach towards recognizing that not every customer was equal and didn't merit the same value proposition. And interestingly, the people on the merchant side, so the store side, the buying side, didn't really get behind loyalty right away. And it wasn't until, because we launched in 07, it wasn't until the Great Recession. And Nordstrom talked about this on their earnings consistently while the while the economy was soft, they were doing well. And they cited their customer relationships as being their differentiator. This is before they sort of trashed the business and went from two sales a year to being on sale all the time, kind of like a Macy's is today, at least in the US. But it was the recession that actually made the rest of the organization appreciate the value of loyalty. But it was only in hindsight and and to Nordstrom's credit back at the time, and because Nordstrom, no pun intended, owned Nordstrom credit, then they hadn't spun it off yet. They got it because they made money on a number of different fronts. And of course, our interchange here makes that a lot more possible, especially when you're, you're a retailer like that and you own you own your issuing bank. But great things can actually come out of recessions for loyalty. And I'll save another example for later in the conversation. Phil, you were, you were trying to jump in there as well. Did you have a point on that? I think that, uh, and maybe we're getting onto this soon, it's also incumbent uh, to be sensitive to how your customers are thinking and how their preferences are changing. And most, the most stark example for me is I recall some member feedback at Flyby's when the member told us they literally had no money to buy food, but they remembered that they had some Flyby's dollars remaining on their Flyby's card. That is, they had converted their points sometime before and they had this residual balance, which enabled them to eat. So that, that was a particularly remarkable story, but... You know, just having come through Christmas, we often get feedback, particularly in tough times, to say flybys made the difference between being able to host Christmas dinner or not, or providing an opportunity to purchase presents that would otherwise have not been there. So I think for loyalty operators, you need to be very sensitive in your marketing operations to, you know, what your customers and members are going through. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think that's very true. And I've, we've, I've seen the same. Certainly in research, certainly right now, I see, I see customers asking, saying that this is important to them, that, that at, at now is more important than ever or, or has been more important than in the past. Mm-hmm. Has anyone else seen, seen a, a situation where I've often said that a growing program is a healthy program? And in that is that there's two types of people in the world. There's customers who like loyalty, who are nudged to do, do new things and can get on, you know, they like, oh, that was a great reward. I'll go and change my behavior. But there are also customers that say, look, I'm just going to take that benefit, I'm going to bank it, and I'm going to do the same behaviors they always have done. And of course, those two behaviors exist in a loyalty program. 
But in a, in a growing and healthy and productive loyalty program, the first type of customer outweighs the second. And if you hit the brakes too hard on taking away redemption, my theory is you're likely to get the rebound of that is that the ROI will go down because the customers who have most to gain, who don't change their behavior, are going to hang around. And the ones who you need to nudge into the new behaviors are going to go away. Has anyone ever, has anyone seen any evidence of that or experienced that in? I can see your head, Robin, nodding, Philar. Well, I think we're seeing it right now with what's happened, with the what Delta led in terms of changes to its SkyMiles program and, the, and, and people who you know, for inertia, for because they're captive by a hub, you know, those people may may not, from an airline standpoint and travel standpoint, change their behavior, especially when fares are the same and they're vested in Delta. But, you know, two things. Number one, the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm when you make changes to mm. your loyalty program. And if you're going to make sure that they're well calculated, I think it remains to be seen what happens with some of the changes that that delta is making but that that notion of habit whether whether it has to do with the program or not is the most power and inertia i think of it as inertia that's the most powerful force there is in terms of loyal customer behavior it's people who are just it's habit to automatically go and buy x or book y or whatever that that is the, conversely or or alternatively a different way to think about it, and different experience that's also rooted in in delta airlines here in the us back this was in the late 90s when back when i was working for the lasa group and we had we had launched sky miles and it was probably year three or four of sky miles and we were asked as part of a broad and this wasn't so much of a macroeconomic thing it was an industry specific thing because Airlines at that point had never made any money in their cumulative history, right? And we're probably back there again. <laughs> Pre-COVID, airlines had, I think the industry had finally created a profit. That's beside the point. We were tasked with, as part of this, glo- this global initiative inside the organization to get their cost per available seat mile down to seven and a half cents, which is remarkable for a full service carrier. So what we did, and this is, a, this is sort of the silver lining in tough times or when you're ha- when you have to go in and figure out how to how to make cuts but be strategic about it is we went through this comprehensive review of the program which turned out to be incredibly productive in terms of identifying things twofold one cost savings and number two revenue enhancements so this was kind of the beginning of all the all the you know what consumer advocates called junk fees in the in the airline industry right it's like looking and saying hey could we charge for that is that valuable enough is there value cost leverage for the business but as part of that and you'll see why i'm telling this slightly long story we identified you know we one of the revenue enhancements that we identified was recognizing that here you know prior to this point in time no airline was really focused on tying elite status to yield, to profitability. Like the airline was very well capable of yield management from a fair standpoint, from a pricing standpoint. But at that time, they weren't even matching revenue, flown revenue to earned miles Mm. or within the frequent flyer program, hence the creation of what became medallion qualification miles or elite qualification miles, which everybody employs. And part of the reason I'm bringing this up is 
Delta just basically trashed a lot of that in their shift from medallion qualification miles to medallion qualification dollars, because not all dollars have the same margin or profitability, but also because that came out of, of the recession and it's that shift away could be could be indicative of, you know, maybe they're smarter than everybody else and everybody else is going to ultimately follow and do the same thing. But there was also a New York Times article, I think yesterday, or at least I read it yesterday, posing the question to consumers, given the potential changes to credit cards here in the U.S. because of the Durban Act, basically ripping out all the margin, all the interchange fees uh, that, that, the, that the card issuers have, that the banks have. Is it a good time to redeem all your miles or not? And it was, you know, they made the point, these points never go up in value. So it's never a good time to store them for the long term. And when you do that trashing, I've seen the effect where the program operator thinks they've got away with it because things don't change badly in the next two weeks. And then you get this gradually falling off the cliff over the next six months. And in six months time or a year's time, having lost the trust of your members, you find you can't claw your way back or it's so much harder to to find your way back, which I think was your original point, Ian. Yeah, I get, I, I, that was my that was my point. And I, but I'm saying, if, and if you hit the brakes, too, especially on redemption now, um, when I was at Avios and Air Miles, redemption is a good thing because it, my MD used to describe it as being the, the the magpies at the side of the road. Right, they wait for a session so that all these all these air all these fares come out, and you you can actually sell the fares because you can't sell normal flights. But actually, if you're seeing redemption as a cost. If you take redemption out of a low value program like yours, Mel, if you stopped redemption, mm. you stop the incentive for customers to do it. Has that been a discussion that you've had? 100%. So, I mean, we are not touching that. I must be honest with you, Ian. I think that, you know, one of the points that I wanted to make is also is to us, redemption is everything. The redemption rate, because we correlate that very clearly, where, where there's great correlation, there's great growth in our loyalty program right? And we try everything in our power not to ever touch that, whether it's good times or bad times, it's consistent. And we see our burn rates are just increasing. Uh, There's a a point that I wanted to make while I was listening to you guys, uh, obviously in the airline industry, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a very interesting phenomena that's happening in South Africa in the retail sector. That is that there's a blur starting to happen between true loyalty so you're earning and you're burning, but you're earning because you're changing your behavior, right? Which to me is true loyalty because that's what you want to do. And what has started happening is a lot of retailers in South Africa have now started using discounting. So to me, they just discount yeah. problem and calling them loyalty programs. And that to me in these times is a very, very dangerous route to follow to make sure that your customers stay loyal. You know, I... I think if you don't match, so we've got one uh, particular retailer in South Africa that is struggling. And one of the reasons I think they're struggling apart from some management issues is that their loyalty program is based on discounts. And, and, And if you can't be the best in discounts anymore, then people just move away. They, you know, you don't give them a reason to come back because retailer number two is doing the same thing. So, so, you know, I want to know what the questions that you sent through is what advice would you give people in, in these times running loyalty programs? Don't get pulled into sexy things that look sexy, that drive lots of numbers in the short term. But in the longer term, the longevity, I mean, our program is the oldest loyalty retail program in South Africa, right? It's 27 years old. 
we retain the number one position of the most loyalty program year in and year out. Why? Because it's true loyalty. In these times, it's mm. very easy to be pu pulled into all sorts of revenue yielding, but it's it it's not it's not something that the market can sustain. Certainly not out in South Africa. It's too easy to outmaneuver. And then what starts happening is your supplier starts playing silly games between retailers. So we're finding that happening. If you don't match that with something else, you will lose your customers in the longer term. Yeah, we're seeing that here. And customers see through it too. Oh, right? absolutely. When we, re we recently researched what benefits people wanted to add to the Lords program and we tested, well, one of the questions we tested was member-only discounts. And customers said, no, in fact, proactively, customers are saying they didn't like it because they felt it was manipulative. They felt it wasn't true loyalty. So I, d I do hear what you're saying there. Does anyone else have any advice to add? If it's in our self-help group here, what advice would you give to others during tough times? Phil H., I think make sure that you've got the right measures in the in place so that the you know the discussions with the board are more likely to be fruitful. That sounds very easy to say. <laughs> um, harder to put in practice, but you know I, I think I think having those right measures there uh, is is very helpful in these circumstances. And what about you, Phil? Well, I'll go back to a, a quote that we heard r related to what Phil H. just said. But this was a quote that Pete Fader, the, the Wharton professor and uh, partner at Theta Equity Advisors, mentioned at, uh, at, the, at the loyalty summit that we did in L.A. back in November, which was, which I thought was the, mo the most brilliant line of the whole two days. He said, look, the door to loyalty is through finance. And that's the first door to go through. And I think mm -hmm. while we're all probably in violent agreement and kind of like Mel, I mean, I studied finance as an undergrad and that's, that's what attracted me to loyalty and made it very naturally attractive to me. But when you get, when you can put things in the right perspective, like Phil H just said, what, ha what happens anytime you're pitching something to the CEO, he or she'll look to their left or their right ask the CFO what they think, and then they'll make a decision. No CEO is going to make a decision without the CFO signing off on it, especially in a public company. And I think Pete's advice, and you know, look, he's a marketing professor, and, and they're sort of at the forefront of measuring customer lifetime value. And, and of course, you know, that's just customer net present value. But when you, when you measure the right things and you put, put them in financial terms, it makes it very easier to defend investment and oper loyalty operating spend and loyalty marketing spend, all things equal during tough times. That's the one I would say. I would say model the impact. And I think we said it many times, but I think, but don't just model the impact as in user financial model. I think it has to have a human element to it because within loyalty, you have cost is very easy to measure in loyalty. It's the other piece. And I think you have to put the, the human element on that. Yeah. Model it so that people can understand the human. Go on, Mel, sorry. Uh, Ian, you know what? <laughs> well, I, I'm absolutely seeing that. I am absolutely seeing the door to loyalty is through finance. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you the one thing that finance people do not understand is the opportunity cost. They, they, it, it, it's as if I have to re-explain the concept of opportunity cost. What if we don't do this, right? 
What is yeah. going to happen? You know, it's, 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 it's that age-old argument that what is the value of a brand, right? What, what is the value of sometimes what we do as marketeers can simply not be measured, right? It, it simply cannot be measured. The only way you realize is when you take it away. I remember in Coca-Cola days, there was a time that Coca-Cola felt that their brand was strong enough. Why were they doing advertising? Everybody in the world knows what a Coca-Cola is. And I remember in that year, they cut the advertising budget, but like insanely so, and they lost 30% market share to Pepsi, right? And I always say, I always use that example to the guys. And I say, guys, we don't want to go that route. Believe me, you don't want to find out what happens. So, so it's, that, it's that opportunity cost that I think is our role as marketing executives to keep on reminding people that sometimes, yes, it is an expense for a CFO, you know, this plus that must equal this. But for marketers, we need to understand the value because for me, the loyalty of our customers through the time, you know, during our Black Friday, so Black Friday uh, bombed out spectacularly, I understand, in most markets. And what was very interesting for uh, HU, we're talking about people using money to, to literally buy food. Uh, I mean, in one year, last year's uh, uh, Black Friday, people were buying basic essentials, where the year before they were buying the latest air fryer and, and the latest spa, foot spa. This year, they were buying soap. And and noodles, kids' noodles, you know, stuff like that. Wow. And and I was saying to the guys, the fact that we retained our benefits to our customers, this, the fact that we stayed firm, yes, so it did cost us, right? But at the end of the day, Clicks had the best retail season of all retailers in South Africa. Why? Because of that. And and I think it is our role. We, we will always get finance getting back at us. I and it's also their role. Uh, Phil, oh, you're right. I mean, that's uh, what they get role. paid for. They're there, that's right? what they're there to do. <laughs> um, but that is our role to keep on reminding the business that loyalty also builds a brand. It builds it builds a brand for sure. I think the point about people is the best one because it's not just about people in terms of customers. It's about people in terms of corporate leadership, the CEO, and when this when the CFO starts starts poo-pooing loyalty, it ought to be this the CEO that says, what if we don't do it, right? It, it ought to be the CEO that brings up, hey, there's an opportunity cost to doing that. And that's why we're, that's why, and I think the example of brands that are so hyper-focused on transactional loyalty, which is a euphemism for loyalty through discounting, are the ones that are failing in all the opportunity now is not about making pro you don't even have to make the program richer you can't take things away you know back to that hippocratic oath but you have to you you have to be able to craft an experience that people will pay for which which is the same idea of why do you invest in your brand because there's emotion to loyalty it's not just about it's not always about savings sometimes it absolutely is about savings but sometimes it's about those other drivers of loyalty beyond beyond the financial one. But let me be also honest, Phil, is that, sorry, Ian, as marketers, we're also guilty to hang on to stuff too long. So the one thing that I've seen in, in this time is when something that you're trying is not freaking working, then put on the big old panty and say, I'm sorry, this didn't work. We tried it. We move on. And what I find is we sort of keep on hanging on to these little pet projects that we have. And uh, 
I think that's also important that we take responsibility to also say when something is not working and you kill it and you move on. And by doing that, you build up your warehouse of goodwill, Mel. There which, we which, go. Which then builds up your likelihood to win the argument. There we time. go. Well, on that, on that, I'd like to say thank you very much to our panel tonight. So first, can I say, Phil Hawkins, you've got up earlier, so thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, uh, pleasure to, to be involved. Thanks, Ian, and uh, Phil and Mel. And uh, Mel Van Roy, thank you ever so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. As always a great pleasure, Ian. And Phil Rubin, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Phil and Mel. Great fun. Uh, the sign of a good conversation is that we could have gone on forever. So um, <laughs> if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment on social media using the hashtag, the Podcast, and we'll look forward to your company again soon. Thank you and goodbye.